Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to talk to a man. I think I've, I've read five or, at least five or six of your, your books, Steve, but I'm talking to Pastor Steve Farrar. Steve, how you doing? I am good. Thanks for having me on today, Jared. Absolutely. Why don't we go ahead and pray, and then we'll get going. All right. Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for, for the blood of Jesus that unites Pastor Steve and me as brothers. Uh, God, I thank you for the work that you have done through him into my life and to countless other, other people's lives. And in particular, God, I thank you for the work that he has done with men over the years and that he continues to do. And so I thank you for, for this opportunity we have. I pray that you would lead this this discussion. I pray you'd put a book, big spotlight on Jesus and uh, that we'd, we just have a lot of fun talking about you and talking about ministry and life. And uh, we trust that you're going to lead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. For those that may not be as familiar with you or may not know you at all, why don't you go ahead and tell us about yourself and then your family and then what it is that you do? Well, let's see here. So... I um, <laughs> so so Bill Cosby. It's not good to quote Bill Cosby these days, but uh, <laughs> his big his line was, "I started out as a child." So I'll borrow that from him. Okay. Yeah, I was. Uh, so I I I was raised in California back when California was normal, and at one point it was. It's a little little humor there for some people. Others right. won't appreciate it. Uh-huh. But uh, I, in a real strong Christian home, my my, you know, my, my dad was a real estate broker. He, um, but he, he loved Christ. He loved the church. Um, he had a big brown leather Thompson chain Bible that was always, uh, on the uh, coffee table. And he was up every morning early reading his Bible and praying. And he taught an adult class and we were in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That was my background, and okay. um, I uh, and my grandpa was a preacher, and <clears throat> our extended family were all Christians. So that you know, I, I look back, and uh, you know, your boundaries have fallen to me in pleasant places, hmm. and that that that's my background. So yeah. I'm grateful that I had a dad and a mom that loved each other. Not perfect people, but you know. They, they were just normal people who loved the Lord, and, and Christ was first in our home. Hmm. So I'm thankful for that background. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Now, you uh, grew up a little bit. You, you grew up in a Christian home. So when, when was it that uh, you met your wife, your kids? Tell us a little bit about your family. And uh, I think you yeah. said you had, had some grandkids as well. So tell, tell, tell us about your family life. Yeah. So uh, Mary and I have been married for 43 years. We met at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Uh, they uh, they just opened up the program, a uh, 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 MA in theology and uh, and music, and that was her background. So she was there studying, and I was in honestly, I, I was engaged to another gal, and uh, great gal. And um, anyway, you know, through God's providence, uh, that came to an end. I met Mary there in a. Christian family and marriage class okay. of all things, and uh, you know the Lord just worked, and so we were married, and uh, then, gosh, we uh, 
I haven't thought about this for a while. So we've been married 43 years. Okay. I pastored a church um, in the Bay Area, and then another church in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, you know, the Bible Belt. Right, and, right, uh, yeah. So the suburbs there, and then um, anyway, after a stint at another church, wound up coming to Texas uh, to do men's ministry in 1990 when nobody was doing men's ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, and I had just finished a book called Point Man. I would written it upstairs in my bedroom. Uh, there's a real providential story behind that book uh, of, uh, of a lot of defeats, and uh, I thought the Lord was... Uh, I went through a deep depression in my 30s. Okay. And... Uh, you know, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. The Lord put me in the wilderness early on in my 30s. Hmm. Because I pastored my first church at 28. And so, Jared, I, I think this is a key piece in the story. I look back on that. And as a young guy, I think, you know, we all we all want to make a mark. We all want to be used by the Lord. But there's the danger... The danger is selfish ambition, mm-hmm. and it's always the danger. And I think it had me pretty firmly in its grips, and I didn't know it. I wanted to, I would never say this publicly, but I wanted to be successful. I wanted to grow a large church. I wanted, I was going to say I wanted to have a platform, but back then nobody had platforms. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just, you know, you'd be well known, you'd write books. And uh, I had no clue what I was doing. I was just a young guy, I wanted to preach, and I wanted to grow a church, and the Lord in his goodness kept disappointing me. And and, uh, as John Newton said, it is a mercy when God crosses our wishes Mm -hmm. and disappoints our plans. And and, and so, in that first church, we were growing, and I hired different people. Every time I'd hire someone, it didn't work out, and it was very frustrating to me. Mm. And my tendency was always to get ahead of the Lord. And after three years, I wound up resigning without knowing where I was going. Okay. <clears throat> I had counsel not to do that. I went ahead and did it anyway. And uh, the Lord just kind of put me in the wilderness for a while. And I went into a depression where I was crying three to four hours a day. Mm. And I couldn't stop. It was pretty serious. But well, I look back on it. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Hmm. Uh, so I'll just stop there for a minute and take a breath. But uh, yeah. a lot of a lot of setbacks early on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you talked about this thing of men's ministry in the early '90s, and I actually done a lot of reading and thinking about men's ministry in the '90s. And I did an episode about eight months ago on '90s men's ministry, and I bookended your. I started with the 1991 book Point Man, your book, yeah. and I went yeah. through all the way till 2001 which was Eldridge's Wild at Heart, which are two vastly different books. I mean, you're quoting yeah, Puritan, you're, you're quoting Puritans. You're, you guys are theologically pretty different. And yet yeah. uh, both spoke to men in a way that called them up. And uh, But yet you're, you're here quote, quoting Puritans, and you're in the same theological tradition based on what I've read from you that I am. And, yeah. uh, and so you had some content where a lot of the 90s men's ministry stuff didn't. It was a lot of stories. I mean, you're, you're, good at, you're a great storyteller, but... But you bumped into the Puritans at some point, and theologically, I mean, you're talking about God's providence, you're talking about the sovereignty of God, 
to this yeah. day, I listen to your podcast and you're just talking about the craziness of 2020 and the anchor that the sovereignty of God and his providential care and rule of this universe is to our souls. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been there for a long time. So how in the world, let's talk about the Puritans for a little bit. How did you discover the Puritans and then how did you get into this whole thing of men's ministry? I mean, why in yeah. the world did you move? leave California. I mean, today we understand people leaving California to go to Texas, but then probably not. People thought, man, have you heard what Steve's doing? What in the world? He's losing his marbles. You know, what's, what's he doing? So tell us that whole story. Tell us about the Puritans and why Texas, why men's ministry? Well, even as I was telling you the story about me having that depression, Uh I was thinking to myself, why am I going into this? Hmm. But, uh, now I know why, because you're asking me, how did I get into the Puritans? While I was in that depression, mm-hmm. uh, I went, I, I just, I, I, I was, I went to a little Christian bookstore and uh, I was just looking around and I found this book by a guy I'd never heard of. The book was called Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Yep. And, and so I grabbed that book and God, God used that book to save me. And I read that book. Every day, uh, and uh, this is no exaggeration, I would say for a good five years, Hmm. uh, that book was never out of, uh, I always knew where it was, I could always access it, and I I cannot tell you how many times I read through that, and the Lord used that, and you know, Lloyd-Jones was in the Puritan tradition, Mm he uh, and I had read, and during that time of depression, I had also I had lectures to my students by Spurgeon, uh-huh. and he has a chapter in there called "The Minister's Fainting Fits," and I must have read that I don't know how many times I read that, and and the Lord began to use Spurgeon and Lloyd Jones hmm. to put me back together as I was in this little. I had had a church in the Bay Area that was starting to grow. It was pretty cool. It was pretty hip. I mean, we were preaching the Bible. We weren't trying to be cool. Right. But people were started coming. And we got up to 300 from 50 in three years. I only say that to say God was God was at work, but I wasn't ready for it. Mm-hmm. So long story short, I left that church he had me on hold for nine months. Seven churches turned me down. I wind up in a little, tiny, legalistic Baptist church wow. that I didn't want to go to with a bunch of old people, people that are now my, you know, the age I am now. And I was 31. And and really, I would preach on Sunday, but there was nothing else to do. There was no counseling, because if you're 70 and have a lousy marriage, you're not going in for counseling. Right. So the Lord just plopped me down, and I started reading as I was crying, Spurgeon, Hmm. Lloyd-Jones, and uh, that's how I came across the Puritans, and then from those guys, I read Thomas Watson, and then I'd go to the others. Yeah, that's so So good. that's the background, and what I didn't realize is the whole time God was preparing me through those Puritans and through my own setbacks for ministering to men, Hmm. which... Anyway, that's another story, which I'm glad to get into. Yeah. Yeah, t- 2012 is the year of Lloyd-Jones for me. And spiritual depression, I read Joy Unspeakable, which is a, yes. a kind of a controversial work, work but f- phenomenal work. Um, <laughs> it's great work. It is. Yeah. And uh, 
And Spurgeon, of course. I mean, everybody loves Spurgeon, but you can't help but love him when you read it. And I read lectures to my students when I was probably 23 or 4, and it was yeah. just a completely changes everything. You can't unread some books. You know, you just, it changes, <laughs> it just changes everything you see. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, for me, Lloyd Jones is the path to banner of truth. I got to actually meet Ian Murray a few years ago, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And so phenomenal. Now you brought that into men's ministry. So now you're in California, you've got, you've gone through this depression or you're in it at some point, yeah. then you transition out of pastoring that, that fundamentalist Baptist church that's older and you end yeah. up in Texas. What, how old were you when you moved to Texas? And then how did you start this men's ministry? I mean, what happened? And it got some, I mean, built some steam. Was it from the work point man that launched that? Like, how did all that come together? Yeah. So, uh, I determined when I was in that little Baptist church and we actually changed the name of the church to Bible church because Baptist did not fly in the Bay Area. And uh, I had some good things happen there. Uh, it never really grew. But I determined I wasn't going to do anything to ever leave unless the Lord made it crystal clear. So I was there three years and then wound up, before we went to Texas, we made a stop in okay. other places. I'd always wanted to live in a foreign country. And, uh, <laughs> you know, after a year of language school, uh-huh. uh, and my wife was from the South. It, it worked out. Anyway, we had some friends and started the church, and the Lord clearly led us there. And while I was there, there great people, wonderful people. What happened was, I was there about a year, and we had a, um, we suddenly had a crisis. And the crisis was about, literally, so we started the new church out of an existing church with their help and their support. Okay. And it was going great, and after about a year, we ran into a crisis between the elders about the direction, literally the geographical direction, where do we plant this new church. Okay. And they wanted to go one way, and I thought we should go another. And it really, it seems like a small issue, but it really, it it became a very divisive issue. We had to bring in... um, uh, Someone we all agreed on who had helped us get the church going. He was uh, a guy who was behind the scenes uh, who was an advisor. Okay. And uh, we brought him in, and I really thought they were going to ask me to leave. It got one day, and I'm going into this to explain. You look back, you see the providence of God through the setbacks. Mm. So while uh, we're going into a meeting, and I'm expecting them to say, we want you to leave. And... <clears throat> I, I, you know, we come halfway across the country and I'm saying, Lord, what do you, why did this happen? So what they said to me in that meeting was, we want you to stay. And the, and the spokesman was saying, they want you to stay, but here's the deal. They want you to preach on Sunday, but they don't want you to come into the office for the rest of the week at all. And I, I said, okay. And not at all. They didn't want me involved with the staff or they just, and I said, okay, so what am I going to do? I mean, I can only spend so many hours. I can't spend 50 hours. I guess I could on a sermon. And they said, well, aren't you working on that doctoral program at, at Dallas Seminary? And I said, I am. They said, well, don't you have to write a dissertation? And I said, yeah. And they said, why don't just write that? Uh, I said, okay, you just want me to work on the dissertation. And I was writing the dissertation on the model of church planning we were doing there, which okay. just blown up in my face. So, in the providence of God, uh, the next week I was speaking at a conference 
the marriage conference, there was a session where we just had the guys. I was talking to the guys on principles of being a spiritual leader, and the first guy up walked up and said, what have you written on this? I'd never been asked that before. Okay. I said, nothing. He said, what has been written? I said, I, well, on this particularly thing, the particular, I don't know of anything. The next guy, uh, what have you written? The 12 to 15 guys in a row said, what have you written on this subject? Wow. And I knew I had to change my dissertation, and Mary and I were flying back, and we, you know, this is pretty clear. I think I'm supposed to do this on spiritual leadership. So I went down, got there, um, they signed off on this new topic. And so for the next uh, year and a half, I, I researched a thousand men across the United States. Uh, it's about this thick. Mm-hmm. And I knew what the issues were. And then I wrote my dissertation on men. Hmm. And I'll, I'll go back to something else. Okay. In my church in the Bay Area, I was a rookie pastor. And, you know, people come in for counseling and I'm 28 years old. I mean, why are they asking me? But it seemed to me that about 90% of the counseling issues people would come in, if you reduce them to its to their lowest common denominator, it, it really was the man was not being the man. Hmm. And I just began to see that. And so what I started to do was I just started preaching to the men. Okay. I didn't announce it. I never just said I'm preaching to men. I just started directing. I thought if I could get the men, I'll have the wives and the kids. Yeah. So I wind up writing my dissertation on men. When I, when I finished it, a, a publisher heard about it and said, hey, that's a book. I went to the back to the board and said, hey, they want me to write a book. They said, yeah, just write the book. So the book Point Man, I wrote upstairs in my bedroom because I couldn't go into the office during the week. Wow. You look back, and you, that's just the providence of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was sort of under house arrest. But not quite. I didn't have an ankle thing. Uh So that's how I wrote Point Man. And later, there was, you know, was there some division among the guys on the board? And and the guy was sort of the the key guy that I didn't get along with. Mm -hmm. Five years later, we ran into each other at a Promise Keepers event. 70,000 guys were there underneath the... uh, in the bowels of uh, that great NASCAR track in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ran into each other in the hall, and he said, Hey, Steve, I've been, uh, I saw that you were going to be here, and I've been praying for six months that the Lord would let me run into you. Oh, wow. And I said, Really? And so in about 30 minutes, we had a conversation, and he apologized to me, and I apologized to him. And all the stuff that was left over from that, we all, we just, it was reconciled. Mm-hmm. We started laughing about how God had us. And we look back and we can see, look how God orchestrated this whole wow. thing. Wow, that's incredible. So there you go. So sometimes, I remember when we went to England and we saw John Bunyan's uh, prison cell. Uh, he had a day cell and a night cell. And the night cell was what you would expect. But they gave him uh, another cell with a desk and his books and he just could never leave, and that's where he wrote books. Hmm. And I look back, and I didn't tell that story. I, 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 I have not told that publicly until a few years ago. Hmm. But the reason I'm saying it is, is that God works so strangely in our lives. Yeah, I, I had two major setbacks, but God was setting me up the whole time for what he wanted me to do. And so then Point Man came out, and um, 
um, it was time. It was time for us to leave that church, mm-hmm. and so we moved to Dallas. And um, I had a lot of speaking opportunities, and I did a lot of marriage conferences. And I was just going to keep doing marriage conferences. And as we were driving down there, Mary said, "You know, Steve, you ought to focus on men a hundred percent." I said, "Mary, nobody does men's ministry a hundred percent. I mean, it doesn't even exist." There might be a pancake breakfast every two years. And mm-hmm. She said, yeah, but that's, that's you. That's that's your heart. You have this book coming out. And I said, I don't even know if anybody's going to buy it. <laughs> right. And it hadn't even been out yet. And, you know, the Lord just put it together. Hmm. And it, it sold it, like it, wildfire. I mean, it sold hundreds of thousands of copies, didn't it? I mean, it, didn't it just yeah, explode? Yeah. It just exploded. And... Uh, I mean, I was. I mean, there's no one more shocked than I was, and uh, I'm still shocked. Yeah, well, it's it's yeah. interesting because at the same time that that was going on, the other piece I was hitting on when I talked about '90s men's ministry was what was going on with Bill McCartney and Promise Keepers and the rapid yeah. growth of that. There just seemed to be something that God was doing in the '90s it was. that it was. Uh, that was pretty remarkable. That guys my age maybe got a little bit like I went to a Promise Keepers event when things were dwindling down in the early 2000s, yeah. and yeah. Uh, but I remember the men of our church and. There's still a lot for millennial guys. I'm on the older end of millennials, but there's a lot for us to learn from what God did in the 90s. And I think one of the reasons that there was a disconnect is because there are very few men like you who are connecting manhood with the authority and the, and the sufficiency of Scripture. There was a, yeah. there, there, yeah. so, so there was a guys that were riled up and passionate, let's go, but didn't yeah. know how to tell their yeah. kid, hey, homosexuality is sinful and wrong, here's right. why. Because what God yeah. has to say is authoritative. Because I, I read some of those books, even McCartney's books, and for all that God did, and my gosh, gosh, some of that stuff is just, to be quite frank, it's garbage. I mean, not all of McCartney's, but I mean, some of the Promise Keeper stuff that was coming out was gold, and then some of it was just like, what am I reading? Like, why were people reading this? And well, it was ridiculous. You're, yeah. you're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Which was why, which was why, when God put me in on that deal, uh, I looked around, and I'm looking at guys, and I, 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 I you know, I'd read some of their stuff, and... But, you, you know, sometimes um, I look back on that, and I'm grateful I was in on it, and mm-hmm. other guys, whoever was in on it, and, oh, you know, I could mention other guys if, if you know, I could my brain would bring them to my mind right now. But you had some solid guys mm-hmm. among them, but a lot of them were, I mean, they were good guys. They, they knew, the, they loved the Lord. Right. But they weren't deep in the scriptures. Yeah. They were more into experience than the Word of God. And uh, so, anyway, I mean, but you've got 50, 60, 70, 80,000 guys coming to these stadiums. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So it was a unique time, and it was a movement. So it, it, it took, it was about seven, eight years, and then it just died. I yeah. Mean, and not died. Yeah, it sort of died. Yeah. yeah. And then <laughs> you can't keep it on life support. Right. And I think for a while they tried to keep it on life support. And, yeah. and I, I appreciate those guys and what was done. But, you know, you can't you can't live your Christian life based on emotion or experience. It mm-hmm. has to be the Word of God. Amen. That's good. Okay, well, let's uh, shift a little bit and talk about your book, Finishing Well. Uh, you're in your 70s now. Are you in your 70s, Steve? Yeah, I'll be 71 in a couple weeks. Okay, so early, early 70 years young. and. Yeah. 
I've been in ministry for, for a long time now, and I know one guy locally, this is anecdotal evidence, but my listeners have heard me talk about this before, but my criteria for finishing well is pretty basic. Uh, get to formal retirement age, not that, I'm, that people are ever going to retire, we're always going to work till we die, but formal retirement age, if you still love Jesus, and, and more importantly, if you know you're loved by him, that's, a, that's fantastic. If your marriage is still solid and you like each other, the second criteria. Third, do you still love the church or are you bitter? Um, are you still making disciples? Uh, and actually, I was the, the should have been number four. Number three is: Does your do your kids still respect you and love you? If even if they're not all walking with the Lord, if they if you have got a great relationship with your kids, obviously yeah. we want our kids to be walking with the Lord. But if they respect you, yeah. four if you love the church and you're making disciples still, uh, and just by ba- and then five no hidden moral failures. So just basic yeah. criteria for finishing well. And I know one guy locally that's finished well one, and I've got a. Buddy of mine, it's in our church, or it's in our city, a church in our city. My buddy Phil, he's in his sixties, and he's looking to finish well by those criteria. Um, your book, Finishing Well, you do a study of all these guys that have been in ministry and fallen. I'm, I can't remember the exact stats, but it was pretty staggering. Yeah. yeah. So, what what is the key? I mean, you're you're talking to a lot of younger guys now. There are some older listeners, some guys your age that listen as well, but. Yeah. Why, why do so many people, so many men, not finish well? And what do you think, if you're, if you're having an opportunity to speak to younger men, how, how do they avoid the pitfalls of burning out, having an affair, killing themselves, you know, crazy stuff? How do they avoid that? Yeah, so actually the book I did, the title was Finishing Strong. Finishing Strong, that's right, yeah. And that's fine, no, no problem, because finishing well is a, well, you know, there's probably a book out there by that title, I don't know, but... So, so I did finishing strong. Uh, to answer your question, um, I think uh, I think we forget that we are when when you follow Christ, you've got an enemy that hates your guts hmm. because he hates Christ and he hates Christ men and those that are a part of the kingdom. Yeah. And uh, it's spiritual warfare is what it is. And I, uh, so early on in my 20s, there was a guy who had a tremendous impact on me when I was a college student. I'd drive 100 miles round trip in uh, Los Angeles traffic to hear this guy do a Bible study. Um, There are a couple hundred college students there. Okay. Um, I got, and he had a national audience um he um he was strong in scriptures and uh i got to know him a little bit had dinner with him and his wife and his four kids and i'm 20 he's probably you know early 40s and i thought to myself you know i i want to be like him that's what i want to do and then it came out you know four or five years later that this guy with this huge ministry <clears throat> was a serial adulterer. Oh my! And I mean, they had the facts. They had women. It was substantiated. And guys that had been with him in ministry for years were shocked hmm. because he was a pathological liar. Wow. And in fact, his closest friend, who was also a mentor of mine, said, "Steve, you got to understand, he's a liar. He's just a pathological liar." And I didn't realize it until eighteen months ago. Oh my! So you know, Paul told Timothy. Watch over your teaching and your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and also in First Timothy, you've got uh, 
uh, he told Timothy, fight the good fight by keeping faith and a good conscience. Well, keeping faith is being in the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Hmm. So that's how you keep faith, is being in the Scriptures. This guy was strong in the Scriptures. But he didn't keep a good conscience. Yeah. And see, that's the two parts to finishing strong. You're in the Word, but you keep a good conscience. Hmm. And when the Spirit, and when I get into sin, you get into sin, the Spirit of God, you know, I always, I, I like to use the illustration, conscience is like a nerve, and the Spirit of God will just flick that nerve. Mm-hmm. And it's like a raw nerve in your tooth, and you, you know you sin. Well, here's yeah. what happens. In First uh, Timothy 4, it talks about the false teachers who are men who have been seared in their own consciences with a branding iron. Mm-hmm. And your conscience can get hard. And when you continue to resist the Holy Spirit and his promptings, and instead of confessing your sin and repenting of your sin, you continue in your sin, and mm-hmm. you continue in your sin, you get a hard heart, even yeah. though you can teach the Bible. So, there's a public life and a private life. And the things you just mentioned, four or five things, those are all true. You, you, you've got to, you've got to guard your heart. Mm-hmm. You've got to, I mean, you got to keep watch over your, your private life and your thought life. And it's a daily battle. So mm. that's, I mean, that's what that entire book is about. The yeah. pitfalls, the traps. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that uh, what you're talking about is, is basic Christianity. When you're in ministry, especially if you've if you've led a highly quote unquote success, successful ministry, basic Christianity and basic Christian manhood seem to go out the window. And I've seen so many pastors that just don't know how to be a man. They don't know how to love their wife. They don't know how to take care of their kids. Yeah. They don't know how to love their people. They don't know how to they know how to drink coffee. They know how to read books, but they don't know how to live life. And yeah. and so yeah. eventually their spiritual disciplines are thrown out the window because they're studying so much for their sermon. And the basic thing of, of prayer and ministry of the word is is for everybody else, yeah. but there's there's just yeah. a disconnect, private and public life. You mentioned it, and uh, so now we see a lot of ha- a lot of things happening in 2020. I mean, it's, I, I was talking to another pastor; he'd been in ministry for thirty something years, and and I asked, you know, is this a unique year for you? I mean, have you ever experienced anything like this? And he had been in pastoral ministry for thirty one years, and he said, no, I've never experienced that. And uh, I think for all of us, 2020 is this unique year, and I've been listening to you, and you've been talking about the dangers of critical race theory, and you've been talking about basically everybody cowering and you know capitulating yeah. to the world. And what, yeah. what's it going to take for pastors? You know, speak to men as men, and pastors as God's men. You know, pastors are not women for a reason. We are men for a reason, and and, and when we pastor like women, or think that yeah. pastoral ministry is feminine, then we're not doing it right. And uh, and so God is not just God hasn't made this andro- androgynous mass called humanity. Yeah. He has made yeah. men and women, and He has called men to this masculine work of pastoral ministry. Women can't yeah. do it because God has called men to do it. So speak to us as men in the in the year twenty twenty and challenge us. Why are there so many pastors who are cowering in fear? And I think I just mentioned this earlier today. I think 2020 is going to go down as the year, uh, down as a year where congregations take their congregational authority serious and hold their pastors accountable to preach the word. Because I think I think lay people are being a little bit more in tune to what's going on than pastors are, and pastors are just diving into the left. I mean, like crazy yeah. theologically yeah. and politically, yeah. and it's just yeah. insanity. And so, yeah. speak to us as men. Why are so many men pastors losing backbone? Are you know, revealing that they've never had one, and what's it going to take for us to lead God's people through 2020 and beyond? Well, you got to become a Daniel, and 
you, you have to have you you have to have a grip on the sovereignty of God and the providence of God, and you have to have a grip uh, that your job is not to please men, but it's to please the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so you declare the word of God in season, out of season. You tell the truth, and you uh, you you're you're, n- you're not trying to win a popularity contest, mm-hmm. and you can't worry about getting fired. Yeah. Uh, you just can't worry about that because if they fire you, I've been fired. I mean, if they fire you, I mean, do you believe in God's sovereignty? Do you believe in God's providence? I mean, God's over promotion and he's over demotion. Amen. This all comes down to what you believe about God. And when I was fired, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me, although I was scared to death. Hmm. But you learn as the years go by, I don't have to fear men. I just... I just need to tell the truth. And if I tell the truth as it's in the Word of God, God honors that. Mm. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro about the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully His, that He may strongly support them. Yeah. So here's what I would say to guys. You don't want to be a Mr. Rogers neighborhood guy. (laughs) For real. Amen. There's too many of those. They're everywhere. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Actually, it's not. Hmm. We got a culture. We got a nation that's being turned upside down. We got spiritual warfare left and right. The heat is being turned up. Persecution is coming to the church. Um, there's some hard days ahead. And mm-hmm. what's going to happen is God always uses persecution to purify the church. Yeah. And so a lot of guys who are pastoring that have no business pastoring. Uh, they're going to be taken out anyway because they're going to run because of fear. Mm-hmm. Now, if God has called you, you you hold your ground and you preach the word. Amen. And you trust your future to the Lord. Uh, you don't have to be afraid. Yeah. And are you going to get heat? Yeah. But why don't you go ahead and do what's right and get heat? <laughs> You're going to get heat no matter what you do. Go ahead and honor Christ and give glory to God and tell your people the truth and the truth will set them free. Mm. Amen. So, anyway, in a nutshell, that's what I would say to young pastors. Amen. That's good. Well, why don't you, i got two questions left for you. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about your new work you just finished up, and uh, yeah. and I know that it's going to be some delays on getting that out, but tell us about that new yeah. work. And then the last question I ask everybody, Steve, is, is uh, I set you up to praise God's grace, and I know that you love the grace of God, and so I'm going to ask you, why do you love Jesus so much? And so yeah. let's start with, tell us about your new work, what's going on, and we'll finish with uh, just talking about how great Jesus is. Well, uh, so what I've been doing, I, uh, Point Man is the first book I did, it's the one I wrote up in the bedroom under house arrest. Uh, it's 30 years old now. I've been uh, revising Point Man, uh, updating. I've got a couple new chapters on uh, um, restoring the ancient boundary. i got a chapter called Restoring the Ancient Boundaries because our culture has removed the ancient boundaries of gender and marriage. Mm-hmm. And so guys are having to deal with, with you know, I mean, i got grandkids. Mm-hmm. And uh, my son's, are going to have to talk to them just not about the facts of life, but about transgenderism and all this other stuff that guys my age didn't have to do. I didn't have to talk about that with my boys. Now mm-hmm. you have to address it. And you have to address it early. Uh, so I've updated that. I, I it's uh, I've worked on it for two years and it's been intense. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm excited that it's done and um, 
So that's what I've been working on. Good. And uh, Good. just on how to be a spiritual leader in these times and be the man that God wants you to be for your family. So that, you, you asked earlier, and I'm going to just go back for a minute. Okay. Some of those things about finishing strong. Um, uh, I, I think it's a mercy when we have setbacks. I was talking with a guy the other day who, you know, had a job loss because of COVID and all this, and he was pretty driven in his career. Uh, you know, God's sovereign over all these things. I'm mm-hmm. glad I had the depression that I had. Uh, I'm glad that I was in a quiet church that didn't demand a lot of my time. Because when my that I, I had time with my kids that otherwise I wouldn't have had. Mm, and awesome. I think um, I think that's key. It, you, your first job is at home. Yeah, you're Amen. a pastor. Your first job is at home. You say, "Well, I want to make disciples." All right, then start with your kids. Yeah, it's so good. You know, you don't need to go to you don't need to go to Afghanistan to make disciples. You you got you got sons, you got daughters. Those are your first disciples. Mm-hmm. And so what you want to do is to get those priorities right and so that when they grow up, that they still want to come home. They mm-hmm. still want to be hanging around with you. That's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. And so if God sets you back and if you have some disappointments, take it from the Lord and um, and roll with it. Mm-hmm. And he, he's going to promote. You're not going to be in that hard place forever. It's yeah. for a season. Yeah. And then and just say, Lord, teach me the lessons. What do you have for me to learn in this depression? What do you have for me to learn in this time of unemployment? And then watch him work. Mm-hmm. He'll make a way for you. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so. It's good. Now, I, that's real life stuff. Yes, indeed. If you're indeed. home, if you don't, if you, you know, we're watching guys right and left right now. It's been going on forever. But we're watching big-time guys in 2020 who've had great ministries. Uh, they've been exposed. Yeah, they have. Because your sin will find you out. Mm-hmm. We've seen it with Willow Creek. We've yep. seen it with Robbie Zacharias, sadly. Yep. We've seen it with James McDonald. Mm-hmm. We're, and I, I'm, I'm naming names, but why yep. not? Yeah. Uh, not casting judgment. Um you know, what, what's what's done in the darkness is going to come out in the light. It is. And the thing is, you want to finish strong. Mm-hmm. So you want your life and your doctrine to match and yeah. to be congruent. And uh, to me, that's the name of the game. Yeah. Amen. You want your kids when you're 70, you want your kids to still come around and not be bitter and resentful that they were neglected. So good. Amen. Now, people listening to this, the hey, I like this guy, is it steveferrar.org? Where can they find more about your stuff, your books, and, and all of that? Uh, I think it's uh, steveferrarsretirementfund.com. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Actually, that's not right. It's just steveferrar.com. Uh, okay. That, that should get you there. Okay. Now, what... And you asked me about loving Jesus. No, you? that's where I'm going right now. So tell us, oh, you st- okay. yeah, pa- yeah. Pastor Steve Ferrar, why do you love Jesus so much? I just read it this morning. We love him because he first loved us. Amen. Amen. It's just flat out grace and mercy. And uh, and you stay in the word. And the more you're in the word, the more you love him. Hmm. Uh, and the more you're in the word, you, the more you know him. And uh, the more you're in the word, as Hebrews 5 says, you're able to discern 
and train your senses to discern between good and evil. And that's what's needed right now. Mm-hmm. We want to be his men. We yeah. love him because he loved us. And we want to proclaim his truth and his love without fear. Amen. That's good. Well, I've been talking with Pastor Steve Farrar. Steve, thanks so much for coming on the show. Good to be with you. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.